Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Um, my name is Julie Kurtz. I am a research analyst uh, with the Markets, Trades and Institutions Division at the International Food Policy Research Institute. And it is um, my great pleasure as moderator of this session to welcome you to join us. Uh, the past uh, couple years have had tremendous challenges for African trade uh, faced with the COVID-19 pandemic, volatile markets for commodities and much transportation, but also very promising opportunities have opened up through the African continental free trade area and other developments. And we are fortunate to have a tremendous group of speakers here today uh, to share from the 2021 Africa Agricultural Trade Monitor, um, a publication of Academia 2063 and IFPRI to tell you more about those challenges and those opportunities. So we welcome you to this session, and I would like to pass um, uh, to uh, one of the co-editors of this report, uh, Gitao Tedesi. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Julie. Uh, uh, my name is Gitao Tadesi. I'm uh, the director for operational research department at the Academia 2063, and I'm also the uh, the co-editor of this um, uh, 2021 ATM uh, with uh, Antoine and the chair. Uh, I'm very much glad to, to work with this um, experienced uh, trade economists. And uh, uh, with this uh, introduction, uh, I will wel uh, welcome all the, the participants of this meeting. And then I want to just to tell you a little bit about the genesis of the, the ATM. I think the ATM, uh, which is African Agricultural Trade Monitor, is just a response for the growing demand for data and analytics uh, uh, in, in agricultural trade uh, as a result of uh, emerging uh, policy initiatives in Africa. And the first one is the Malawi Declaration in 2014, which has aimed to, to triple the African agricultural trade. And then uh, with response to this policy, we started the, the ATM in 2018. And further, I think uh, recent emerging policy opportunities are coming, like the, the African uh, continental free trade area, which also further underscores the, the importance of these the ATMs. And the African, I think this year, marks a tremendous uh, a progress or development in terms of implementing the African free trade agreement. Uh, agreement. Uh, and for example, um, in February 2021, 54 almost all the 54 countries have signed the agreement, uh, which is uh, very good compared to the initial 44 countries, which were in 2019. And also almost um, uh, 38 countries, as of August uh, 2021, 38 countries have ratified the, the agreement. And uh, this is also a good progress. And uh, trade has begun. I mean, the free trade area has already launched in uh, on uh, January 1, 2021. So this is a big uh, progress in terms of implementing this one. And uh, as you know, the African free uh, trade area, uh, I, I mean, say that they want, it, it wants to create a single market for goods and services, which means that uh, it wants to accelerate intra-African agricultural trade and also boost the African uh, trade participation in the global markets. So this, uh, in, this in this aspects, I think the, the current, the agricultural, uh, um, trade monitor ATM helps us to track how this affects both the global 
and the regional uh, trades in terms of agricultural trades. And uh, these are the important aspect of the, the, the agricultural trade market uh, for, for this year. Uh, though we didn't have uh, captured in detail about the impact of this policy because it's, it's being uh, implemented. And further, uh, the upcoming other additions will continue to highlight on the importance of the, this, the free trade areas. Uh, besides tracking uh, the, the policies and trade integrations and all these things, ATM can is also serving as, as a platform for collaboration between global and African experts. And it's a, as you know, it's a collaborative uh, report between Academia 2063, which is a, a think tank, African-based uh, think tank group, and also IFPRI, which is an international uh, think tank working on food policy research institute. So I think we share expertise and we share uh, <laughs> data and all these things, experience. Besides this, this we involve agrodev members, the agrodev members, for example, for this year, uh, edition for 2021 ATM edition. Uh, I uh, I think of the 11 uh, authors, I, eight uh, almost eight of them are African experts. From eight experts, I mean five of them or four of them that they are agrodev experts. So this means that this this ATM, besides presenting the data and analytics, it also helps us uh, a capacity building platform for African experts. So today, I mean, we're going to present uh, highlights the, the, the 2021 uh, ATM. And I think the details of the content and everything will be presented by my colleagues, uh, Antoine, and also presented by others. So with this uh, remark, uh, I want to say I'm glad that everybody has come and uh, wants to uh, uh, see uh, what, what's, what's, what this ATM uh, 2021 report has in it. So, uh, with this, um, I will say that um, uh, thank you for coming and I wish you a uh, successful uh, uh, presentation for presenters. And also we we'll look forward to receive your comments, uh, suggestions from the audience. And thank you and back to you, uh, Julie. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Gatedesi. I would like to pass it now to Antoine Bouet, who is a senior research fellow uh, with IFPRI and also one of our co-editors. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Julie and Ghetto. Um, I am Antoine Bouet, Senior Research Fellow uh, with the International Food Policy Research Institute. Let me tell you that it's uh, a pleasure to, to present the 2021 AATM report. Um, we have been working a lot on this report, and I would like to thank the, the fantastic uh, editorial and coordination team. Uh, they have been great, efficient, and, and very reactive, so it has been a pleasure. And, and, but I would like also to thank the authors who are not only competent, uh, because you will see by reading the report that they are very skilled in, in economics, but they have been very patient because it has been a, a very long process. And you will see it uh, with uh, Leiza Matissal, Abdullah Isek, and Leila Baghdadi, who are three of the uh, African, uh, African authors of the AATM 2021. I would like to talk a little bit about um, uh, methodology and data, uh, because to monitor trade in agriculture, the AATM relies heavily in, in, on trade statistics. And uh, these statistics are, of course, fundamental for good policy recommendation. Uh, for example, to establish food balance sheets uh, we need production and consumption, but also exports and imports. 
Um, and and uh, what matters here is not only the accuracy of this data, but also the fact that they are quickly available. And it's, and it's not always the case. So, um, for example, in 2021, uh, it's not very useful to get only the data for 2018 or 2019. We need data for 2021. And, and this is really a problem. Uh, and of course, quality and timeliness is important. Uh, so the problems with African uh, trade statistics is that official international trade statistics are often inaccurate. Uh, they do not include what we call informal trade. Uh, which is either uh, trade by small uh, indi by individuals in small quantities, uh, often women, uh, but also it's uh, smuggling, or it can be also um, uh, trade by companies that have an agreement with the custom officials, uh, and and so it, it's a big uh, phenomenon, very important phenomenon in in Africa, and so the official statistic miss this uh, informal trade. So what do we do in this report? First. We established a, a, a high quality uh, database. Uh, it means that we take the, the Comtrade database, which is the United Nations Commodity Trade Statistics database. Uh, and this whole trade data are statistically uh, treated and they are processed and they give a, a, a new and more accurate estimate of cross-border trade. Um, uh, and this is a database which has been at the basis of uh, almost all statistics and graphs in this report. Uh, but uh, it's not sufficient. Uh, we also rely on many initiatives in Africa that try to measure informal trade, but also formal trade. Um, and it's essential because we want not only to improve the quality of uh, the measurements of trade, but also we want to have recent data. And for example, it was very important during uh, the, for, for this report uh, to have a, a, a good estimations of what happens on the ground, to have recent data, and in particular trade in 2020, uh, because it was the period of uh, where Africa were, uh, was uh, affected by the, the pandemic. And we saw, in fact, during this period, uh, a lot of initiatives that have emerged to provide real-time uh, tracking of the health and economic crisis, uh, number of infection, number of deaths, economic activities through cellular or satellite uh, data. Uh, and, and it's really important that in trade, we have to improve the quality of what we have. It's not today sufficient. Uh, so uh, in this report, uh, this week, uh, we have tried to work with the, the, this big database uh, that proceeded to, uh, with the statistical treatment of the United Nations come trade. But what we have done is that we have also tried to rely on the sources of uh, measurement of trade in Africa, in Burkina Faso with SEALs, in Eastern Africa with FSNWG, and in Uganda with UBOS. Uh, and it's really important because, for example, concerning the pandemic, we have seen that uh, in 2020, we had a, a substantial reduction of formal trade, but a, a collapse of informal trade, which is, of course, very important from a political point of view. So the quality of agricultural trade data must be improved in Africa. I really hope that the international community will work in these directions in the very near future. Thank you for your attention, Julie. Thank you so much, Dr. Boyd. 
Uh, just a reminder to all of our audience that we would like to hear from you and so to participate in the Q&A session that will follow the presenter remarks, um, you can submit your questions at ifpre.org uh, through Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or also by using the hashtag AskIfPre on Twitter. So uh, to launch with the, our presenting speakers, uh, several of the co-authors from the Agricultural Trade Monitor, Africa Agricultural Trade Monitor, we'll start with uh, Laysa Saul, who is a scientist with Academia 2063. Laysa. Thank you very much, uh, Jolie, for the introduction. Uh, I'm Laysa Saul, associate scientist at Academia 2063, and I'm going quickly to present the main highlight of chapter two that I co-authored with Professor Antoine Bouet, which was on the participation of Africa to global agricultural trade. So this presentation focuses on two points of the report in the next slide. The first one is related to the trends in African trade in agricultural goods, and then we will talk about the trade in resources. In the next slide, we focused on both aggregate and sectoral levels of participation of Africa, and this in order to offer the richest perspective for understanding the place of the continent. Our analysis cover eight groups of products or sectors, which are listed here. And in the first graph related to export, we see that the participation of Africa has been rather stable with a flat trend for most of the sectors, and this especially for the last five and six years. The share of the continent is higher for cacao, which is above 20%, and then we can find coffee, tobacco, and oil seeds. On the import side in the second graph, the share in global imports is higher for cereals where a significant increase is apparent from 2003 to 2011. And in all sectors, except tobacco, Africa from 2011 to 2019. And globally, even if trade is increasing, is increasing in value, uh, Africa is still to grow its global trade position. In the next slide, we look at measures of reviewed comparative advantage um, in each groups and the relative share of unprocessed, semi-processed and processed good with uh, RCA is presented here. Um, processed and semi-processed good are getting more competitive for most of sectors and the share has fallen uh, in plants and coffee at the process stage but when it comes to the semi-process level, only animal decrease. The share for all other groups increases and this up to 20% for processed tobacco. For unprocessed goods, as we would like it to be, we have a decrease in all groups except the one for AOC. In the next slide, the report look at also how African countries um, are diversifying into higher value products. And this we use a characterization of all countries according to a diagram defined by the number of competitive products or diversification and the number of country competitive in a product or ubiquity. Um, we are expecting countries to move from, from group B to, to group C to produce many higher value products. 
In the next slide, findings show that African countries were mainly no diversified and their exports were concentrated in standard commodities for which many, many countries are competitive. And over time, uh, we see that countries have moved from exporting standard products um, to exporting exclusive products. And as example, during the period 2017 and 2019, we see that 46 countries are now exporting few higher value exports compared to 18 in the first period. And in this classification, only South Africa and Egypt achieved to produce, uh, to export many competitive and higher value exports. In the next slide, um, the chapter look at also the resources embedded in African agricultural trade flows compared with um, other regions. And the focus in this presentation will be on fertilizer. However, we have much more on pesticide, on labor and water content in the chapter. Uh, with regard to fertilizer, we saw that uh, Africa relies on fertilizer imports with a dependency ratio above 178%. Uh, global trade in fertilizer, when we look at the different nutrients, increase mainly in the two period into consideration and this can be up to seven percentage point for nitrogen export and then uh, 38 percentage point for potassium imports so before i sum up let me just say that this chapter has also an interesting estimation of calorie content in agricultural trade and we have also provided uh, an estimation of ad barium equivalent of non-tariff measures um, imposed by African countries, but also faced by, uh, by African countries. In conclusion, with regard to the overview of agricultural trade in the next slide, please, uh, we can see that Africa is still to grow its global trade position and the continent does not reach its potential due to several factors that may be uh, domestic causes or trade policy related causes. And we see also that the continent the, the countries um, generally have comparative advantage in the early stage of uh, production and the unprocessed and the semi-processed stage. Uh, one thing we come up is governments have much more greater potential to address the internal factors related to domestic causes than external factors. And internal factors therefore should be a very high priority in, uh, in the national agendas. Finally, we said that a successful uh, AFCFTA uh, implementation um, that can address both tariff and non-tariff measures that are still uh, constraining inter-Africa trade in Africa could make easier the business to trade within the continent. So I'm going to stop here, Julie, and thank you for your attention. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your remarks. Uh, I will pass it now to Abdullah Sek, who is a professor of economics at the University Sheikh Antas Diop in Senegal. All right, thank you very much, uh, Julie. Uh, hopefully, you can hear me very well. So, greetings to all. Uh, so, uh, my name is Abdullah Sek, uh, so, uh, professor of economics here at uh, Sheikh Antas Diop University in Dakar, Senegal. So, uh, it's a pleasure being part of this very exciting uh, uh, activity uh, that uh, uh, brought you uh, the, this new report. So uh, um, what we're trying to do in this chapter, which is chapter five, is to look at uh, uh, the, the, the impact of uh, COVID-19 in Africa, not only from a growth perspective, but also from a trade perspective, and also seeing uh, the impact on uh, 
uh, food security and also poverty. Uh, so let me start with a very quick background. So uh, we all know that uh, when it comes to uh, the health impact, uh, uh, Africa uh, has been uh, relatively less affected compared to uh, other parts of the world. But uh, economy-wise, uh, the continent has suffered a lot, uh, along with uh, other parts of Africa. And uh, as this is the case, uh, we see some heterogeneity in those impacts. For example, uh, for some sectors, the impact uh, was uh, very, uh, very large. For example, uh, if you look at uh, the energy sector and also the tourism sector. Uh, but when it comes to agriculture, uh, we see that uh, the demand tend to be uh, relatively stable. Uh, but uh, what, when we see uh, what's going on uh, in terms of uh, trade costs and also uh, uh, the measures that have been uh, taken by many governments uh, in terms of uh, border closure, so uh, the impact on agricultural trade, especially intra-African trade, uh, tends to be relatively large. Now, uh, let's first look at uh, what those policy responses are especially uh, those at the border. For example, uh, when we look at uh, those African countries uh, that uh, close their border, so generally uh, the number has increased over time. Uh, but uh, if you look at uh, uh, at a given time, uh, the total number of African countries that have uh, shut their borders, so uh, it wasn't more than 80. And uh, if you look at it uh, differently, for example, uh, the share of global trade in calories uh, affected by this restriction, uh, at the peak, uh, it tends to be around 5 to 6%. Uh, now, uh, let's talk about uh, some of the transmission uh, mechanism uh, uh, we looked into uh, this chapter. Uh, one is, uh, uh, if you look at the African trade position, which tend to be uh, very vulnerable. Uh, for example, we see that uh, raw materials uh, tend to occupy a very uh, large share of uh, export revenues, uh, but also uh, the deficits we have when it comes uh, to trade in goods uh, tend to be financed by important uh, revenues we get from tourism, re uh, remittances, and also international aid. And uh, the fact is that these three uh, tend to be uh, relatively important uh, when it comes to uh, the African uh, balance of payment. It means uh, when we have uh, this global pandemic, which has reduced uh, tourism remittances and also uh, international aid, so the impact is expected to be uh, relatively large, as we will see later. Uh, now, another channel through which uh, the pandemic has impacted Africa is uh, simply by looking into uh, uh, the price of uh, those major commodities uh, that Africa uh, tend either to produce and export or maybe to import. And what we see here is uh, we have uh, uh, various uh, impacts here. For example, for uh, some major commodities like gold and uranium, uh, what we see, and also cocoa beans, uh, coffee, and sorghum. So for these products, uh, the price uh, tend to uh, tend to increase, and uh, which means that uh, countries that depend on those uh, for their export uh, tend to benefit uh, from these increases. But uh, on the other side, uh, for countries that are net importers, they tend to be hurt. And uh, also, there are some commodities uh, for which their price has de have decreased, and uh, for that rely on those commodities for the export revenues. Uh, they tend also to be very hurt. For example, when you look at the case of cotton, which price has decreases, so countries such as Benin, Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso, and uh, other countries uh, tend to suffer a lot uh, from this uh, price drop. And uh, another channel which is related to the first one, to the previous one, is uh, when we look at the, the terms of trade. So uh, if you're a country that depends mainly on uh, a commodity for your export, uh, which price has decreases, so definitely uh, your terms of trade will uh, deteriorate. Uh, this is the case, for example, for countries that are at the bottom here, like Angola, Somalia, and Equatorial Guinea. 
uh, and uh, for other countries uh, that either reduce their import or, or maybe uh, uh, have benefited from increase in the main commodities that they have in the export basket. So those countries tend to gain. This is the case, for example, for Burkina Faso, Tanzania, Uganda, and uh, Cabo Verde. And uh, also related uh, to uh, the first uh, two channels uh, is a uh, real exchange rate. And uh, what we see here in, uh, we have uh, different fortunes here across Africa. For some countries, uh, we see some depreciation of the real exchange rate uh, as a result of uh, price change, but also uh, as a result of uh, falling remittances and uh, tourism receive and also revenues they get from oil and energy export. Uh, so which means uh, the direct impact would be a reduction in the real exchange rate or uh, the price competitiveness of uh, many sectors. And, uh, uh, but uh, some, uh, 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 if you're a local producer, uh, you tend to benefit from it because you have uh, increased price competitiveness. But uh, if you're importing uh, those goods and uh, you have your real exchange rate that deteriorates, definitely uh, it's not a good news for you. And this is a case, for example, uh, when we look at uh, food insecurity for countries uh, that import uh, food products, uh, which price, uh, uh, tend to be uh, relatively high. But uh, we also have some countries uh, which see some uh, uh, real exchange rate that has been uh, very stable. And this is the case, for example, for Burundi, Liberia, Madagascar, Tanzania, Uganda. Now, what those countries, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the, the fact that the real exchange rate has been stable uh, is due to uh, uh, the, uh, the, the import that have been reduced uh, during this uh, pandemic uh, season. And uh, also, uh, another important channel through which uh, the global pandemic has impacted the African economy, especially uh, uh, trade, is uh, simply by looking into uh, trade costs. So uh, it is generally the case that uh, most of our uh, export of perishable goods uh, are uh, uh, use uh, ship, I mean, uh, cargo uh, on uh, passenger flights. Now, what we see uh, at, uh, I mean, uh, from uh, March 2020 uh, to uh, uh, May uh, 20, we see an increase uh, in uh, air freight rate, which has a negative impact on, uh, on, uh, on uh, uh, our export to those countries. Now, uh, uh, these are the main channels uh, 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 we look through to see uh, how the pandemic has impacted uh, Africa in general, especially when we look at uh, the trade component. And uh, now, uh, what are those impacts? For example, uh, when we look at the trade volume, uh, worldwide, uh, we had an unprecedented decline in global trade, and uh, Africa uh, has experienced a, 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 a decline which is larger than the global average. And uh, if you look at uh, within Africa, the northern and southern part uh, are the uh, parts that uh, tend to be uh, much more impacted. But uh, as Antoine has pointed out, it's, uh, uh, it's been a challenge uh, to look at uh, uh, some component of uh, trade, which is agricultural trade, because of uh, data, but uh, we still have uh, some data for SILS uh, countries and also for East Africa, which generally show a decline in uh, trade. And uh, we also conducted some uh, CGE uh, modeling, uh, some simulation, and basically uh, we've come up with uh, some results in terms of uh, uh, how uh, growth has been impacted and also how uh, the agricultural sector has been impacted, but also we look at uh, the impact on extreme poverty. And here you have uh, some figures based on uh, some scenarios which develop uh, not only on April 2020, but also uh, on in, in September. Uh, and that's where we get uh, more uh, uh, I mean, uh, updated data. And 
uh, here we have a different perspective here. We look at uh, what's going on on a house, I mean, from a household perspective. And generally, we come up with the income losses, uh, which uh, tend to uh, be around 5 to 10% of monthly GDP, and also the number of people who has lost income as a result of uh, the pandemic. We look at the impact on poverty, and also the number of people who have uh, fallen uh, into poverty. We look at the impact of inequality and also uh, what is needed in terms of uh, uh, fiscal uh, expenses for the government uh, to uh, tackle, uh, I mean, uh, to uh, revert the impact. And uh, let me finish uh, with uh, maybe uh, some of the policy implications. So definitely we need... Uh, uh, Professor I, I want to jump in just because we have, we have a few other speakers that I want to make sure that we get time to them. So I, I will leave these up on the screen so that everyone can see them and hopefully read them briefly. And I want to thank you so much. It's so important to get some of these macroeconomic perspectives and help us narrow down into how they have these impacts more at a regional level. So thank you so much for your words. I, I'm going to pass it now to our next um, author speaker. Uh, Leila Baghdadi is a professor of economics at ESSEC, the University of Tunis. Leila. Thank you very much, Julie. Uh, first, let me thank the editors of the EATM and uh, uh, and also the team of the EATM for inviting me to contribute to this important uh, report. Um, I contributed with the chapter with uh, colleagues and friends, Zuhur uh, Karai from the University of Tunis and uh, Shahir Zaki from uh, Cairo University and uh, present uh, today in this panel. Um, our chapter is about the Arab Maghreb Union, uh, regionalization without integration. And uh, the AMU is uh, composed of five countries, Algeria, Libya, Mauritania, Morocco, and Tunisia. They are, um, you know, uh, they occupy a large area um, on the South Mediterranean uh, Sea with uh, on their North uh, European countries um, developed and uh, very dynamic uh, economies. On their South African dynamic also uh, and emerging uh, African countries, uh, they had common uh, cultural heritage, a common language, um, sometimes common institutional uh, institutions, but still they are different uh, in many aspects in their in terms of economic, political structures, but also in terms of uh, resources. Uh, they face same um, some common threats, like for instance, climate change water scarcity, uh, terrorism, political instability. The was established in 1989 with the aim to foster growth and um, dialogue. Um, they foreseen several steps in order to have this integration. First, a dismantlement of the tariffs and non-tariff barriers, then a customs union, and finally, a free uh, movement of factories of production. Um, the AMU didn't uh, meet its objectives and aim, and uh, today I will tell you uh, why, some, at least some reasons. Then first let's go through uh, the, uh, the AMU trade, uh, not everything, but just uh, some hints. First, uh, the contribution um, to the agriculture of the economies uh, in AMU countries 
is lower uh, compared to manufacturing and services, again, there are some uh, differences and some heterogeneity. For instance, uh, the contribution of agriculture to the Mauritanian economy is about 19.1%. However, Libya, uh, its contribution, the contribution of agriculture to GDP is about 2.7%. Um, when you look to the measures in terms of food security, we can say these economies are food secure, but they are, um, they, let's say, they have poor performance in terms of resilience, um, and in terms of uh, food resilience and food availability. Um, then, second fact about um, countries is that they are trade more with European countries, which is their main partners than within the EMU and with African countries. Um, and this is true for either agricultural or non-agricultural product, as you can see. Then, for instance, here, uh, exports with Europe is, um, is really, you know, higher compared to the other exports to EMU countries in blue or in orange with exports to Africa. Same things for non-agricultural uh, product with uh, Europe is much more than with other MU countries. Uh, why the MU didn't achieve its objectives? There are many reasons. Today, we are, I will just, you know, um, underline or highlight five reasons. First, with the MU agreements, uh, MU countries signed several other agreements, bilateral, regional, within Africa and outside of Africa. And they ended up by um, having a diversion of trade uh, from um, um, rather than fostering trade as they first uh, intended. Second, even if one of the first steps um, envisioned, uh, which is dropping all tariffs and non-tariff barriers, uh, actually tariffs still exist. They are still there and tariffs are higher on the agricultural sector than on the non-agricultural sector. Um, there still exists, even if, again, we have some heterogeneity, lower 1.2% in Nigeria, but 16.2% in Mauritania, for instance. Uh, Non-tariff barriers are still there, and they are prevalent, especially in the imports, then on the exports. We can see it for all enemy countries. Uh, they're more or less like the average world. Maybe we even have seen a rise in the last decades, replacing other tariff barriers. And fourth, uh, these are for the trade policy issues for the trade facilitation and behind the border, there is still a lot to be improved. For instance, um, every country displays the lowest connectivity in the world. And um, surprisingly, they are much better connected to European countries than within M. Uh, they also have the highest cost to trade of the world, um, and they have full quality of ports and railroads. There is some exceptional performer here. Um, Morocco stands out of the court um, with a lot of improvement during the last decades. Fifth reasons, domestic institutions uh, matter a lot for trade integration. And um, there are still a lot to do here. For instance, uh, corruption is higher in MU countries than, for instance, MENA uh, countries. 
um, respect of property law is also lower in uh, M than in MENA or the fourth US or European Union. Um, there is a higher level of market dominance in these economies, uh, higher than since MENA countries, and still to do a lot to combat uh, monopoly practices in these countries. All of this makes, of course, M didn't achieve its objectives, and we can at least uh, drop here three recommendations. Uh, for instance, to, to, we need a common vision for the agri-food sectors to drive AMO's integration, to lower common risks of water scarcity and climate change, and to ensure food security. Uh, one of the failure, or you know, how we work it till now to adopt down approach, and maybe moving from this top-down approach to an approach where you have a platform with private and public stakeholders could work better. Then um, to to foster regional integration, you don't only need trade policy, but you need a different set. We need other sets of policies, agricultural, industrial, and competition policies to make it work. And third, we cannot think about trade and moving one good from one place to another without, without having a good infrastructure and transport infrastructure in place and a good uh, connectivity. Thank you so much, Leila. And with that, I want to transfer to uh, the next uh, portion of our event today. So we're going to we have um, two wonderful discussants to respond to what they've heard by the presenters, as well as the report overall. Um, I'll mention too, uh, Leila Baghdadi presented uh, about uh, AMU. Uh, each year, the Agricultural Trade Monitor focuses on a different region of Africa. So I think next year will be uh, with ECAS. So um, this is really a chance for us to hone in on a region and see some of these more uh, uh, imp these impacts from a, a closer view. So, uh, and just a reminder to all of our audience that we do want to hear from you, um, and so we encourage you to participate in the Q and A session uh, immediately following the discussants, um, and so you can submit your questions on ifpre.org or via Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or on Twitter using the hashtag Ask. If pre. So we look forward to your questions rolling in. So with that, I want to present our first discussant. Uh, Doa Abdel Motal is a senior counselor at the World Trade Organization. So I will pass it to you, Doa. Thank you very much, um, Julie. It's uh, wonderful to be part of this event. Congratulations to um, the organizations that have supported the, this latest edition of the Agriculture Trade Monitor and congratulations to all the authors um, who are with us today. Um, I think the monitor gives us more information uh, about what is happening in Africa. So, um, you know, I think it's a very valuable source of information, very valuable source of data. And I think we now need to focus on what we are going to do with this picture that the monitor paints. Um, clearly, Africa is the continent um, that has the least amount of regional integration. Um, so in terms of intra-regional trade, Europe, 70% uh, of Europe's trade is with Europe. 60% of Asia's trade is with Asia. 50% of America's trade is with America. But Africa is only at 22%. And that's all international trade. 
Food is an even smaller part of that picture. And as the previous presenter just said, the cost of trade in Africa is the highest in the world. So we need to address these things. And of course, the report goes into other things. And uh, as have, you know, a lot of the speakers mentioned, lack of diversity of exports um, and export markets, etc. Now, I think there's a whole menu of issues that we need to be thinking about that I want to flag as uh, a discussant. Um, first of all, um, is the willingness of Africa to integrate with Africa. We now have the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which is a very promising initiative, but it remains to be seen whether it will succeed in breaking the silos of the regional economic communities. Um, we need to slash trade barriers, as has been said many times before, within Africa. So trade barriers by Africa for Africa. And there needs to be a, more, a greater harmonization of non-tariff barriers within Africa. And there have been many calculations made, including um, studies in the wake of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement that have demonstrated just how serious uh, these NTBs are and how much they cost. To the, uh, to the actual trader. There's a, need to, um, uh, there's a need to improve infrastructure in Africa so that food and people can travel more easily. And there's a need for research and development, obviously. And there, there's a lot of um, scope for South-South cooperation because a lot of other developing countries in different parts of the world have actually, um, have actually become research and development uh, uh, powerhouses. And I think there's a lot that, uh, that Africa can learn by exchanging information there on those issues. Now, there is no doubt that this agriculture agenda, which consists of the willingness to integrate, uh, slashing trade barrier barriers in the NTB's infrastructure, R&D, all of that requires investment. And in my opinion, the best way for Africa to attract investment is to demonstrate that Africa is a safe place to put money, to put time and money. And to do that, Africa needs to show that it is a good global player. Now, the good news on the WTO front is that Africa doesn't need to wait for WTO negotiations. Yes, there are ongoing agriculture negotiations, but um, what is more important, I think, is to implement existing rules and show that that implementation is going well. The entire rule book, whether from industrial goods to agricultural goods to intellectual property to services, because all of that is linked to agricultural trade. So just Africa demonstrating that it, that it is a good player in locking in reforms and using the African continental free trade, free trade agreement as an opportunity to do so is key. Um, now, within the agriculture negotiations in the WTO, there is scope for the African group um, to uh, have a stronger, I believe, offensive agenda. Right now, it is focusing mostly on domestic support, and it has a big defensive agenda consisting of a special safeguard, food stocks, of SMD, etc. But on the offensive side, it is offensive on domestic support and cotton. But where I think Africa really needs to, uh, to focus uh, and what needs to be a priority area is the issue of tariff escalation. Um, a lot of the primary commodities that are exported by Africa are... Um, slapped with higher tariffs as soon as they are even minimally processed. And chocolate is a, you know, a case in point from the cocoa to the chocolate, 
you know, the tariffs, uh, the tariffs rise dramatically. So, um, so those are just some elements for our discussion. And I'll stop here um, to allow time for the next discussant. Thank you very much, Julie. Thank you, Doa, so much for those comments. It's really wonderful to get that broad perspective and especially from um, your seat there at the WTO. So thank you so much. Um, I will pass it now to our second discussant. And just a reminder, um, after, after we hear from Dr. Johan Christian, we will um, dive into our Q&A session. So please put those questions in at ifpre.org on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or um, uh, with the hashtag AskIfpre. Um, so uh, Johan Christian is the director uh, at the Bureau for Economic Research at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Johan. Thank you, Julie, and, and thank you to the speakers and also the previous discussant. Uh, Doa, I think you've read my mind, all my notes, because you almost said the same things that I wanted to say. But uh, uh, I also want to congratulate the team for putting this together. You know, it's very good to have such a detailed report on, on African trade, and African agricultural trade. Um, I remember the days when this was uh, initiated uh, back in the days of the first meetings of AgroDip. Um, Antoine, we, that's, we go a long way back, so it's good to see that these things come into fruition eventually. Um, but it's still, uh, I think, a very ambitious project, you know, given all the um, points that Antoine made earlier about uh, data issues, etc. And I want to latch on that uh, just now. But also just to highlight, I think Africa remains uh, difficult to analyze because it's so diverse. And it's very difficult to generalize, you know, what happens in Southern Africa differs so much from what happens in West Africa and in East Africa. There are similarities, but the, the whole nature of institutions and infrastructure dimensions are so completely different that sometimes you, you find it difficult to have a pattern that uh, um, goes across and explain across the continent itself. Um, I think what is also something worth highlighting and i'm glad the report mentioned that and though i also raised this issue that the success of the african continental free trade agreement will definitely depend not only on the tariff issues but definitely on the non-tariff measures now this is a, something that where political will will be necessary something where we need to have engagement with the countries to illustrate that there's an ability to actually trade with one another to eventually ensure that there's a free flow of goods. So the non-tariff measure issues intra-Africa is, is very important, but also for exports into Europe in the US. Um, uh, this is something that is bothering me. I've worked on several products where trade is just completely closed as a result of sanitary issues or animal disease issues, you know, which sometimes is misinterpreted, misdirected and not really dealing with the, the disease issues itself. So I think this is something that we, we need to highlight and we need to deal with uh, substantively. I want to conclude my remarks with the points that Antoine made about the data issues. I think this is uh, an issue that remains a big worry. The report does refer to the data issues, but in essence, I think it, it is a concern that we all know how data gets reported and that data inaccuracies can lead to false interpretations within any report of this nature. Uh, you already mentioned the issue of the fact that data on informal trade is not generally available. There was initially some projects that we had in Africa to monitor the cross-border trade informally, but whether those things are captured continuously and 
um, reported and factored into the databases is something that we need to understand. But more importantly, some of the results are intuitively not making sense to me if I look at the things in the continent. And it relates to um, the issues of origin and production, because there's an interesting example in one of the tables, one of the sections where South Africa is a large rice exporter um, and there's a major trade between South African Botswana and rice. And we all know that South Africa does not produce one grain of rice. So I, I want to encourage the team to really start understanding the production dimensions of agriculture in various countries and link that to the trade dimensions so that you can that that the sort of interpretation of the data will not bring about uh, counterintuitive results. The same deals with the same problems I picked up with the calorie content of trade, uh, which uh, presented weird results and also the livestock trade and it all deals with the problems with unit of analysis whether you you work with values whether you work with uh, with volume so that is, is something that we really need to deal with you know and, and i would like to encourage the the researchers to really focus on the production capacity and the production records and statistics of the various countries to be able to make sense of the trade because there's lots of imports that are re-exported across the continent uh, then lastly, uh, future research topics. Uh, Doha has also mentioned some important issues that one can engage in, in future reports. The cost of trade is a main issue, and therefore one needs to think about uh, infrastructure that support trade, thinking about border crossing times, and also think about the harmonization of documentation, which I think is a fundamental process as part of this uh, African Continental Free Trade Agreement. So it will be use, useful to have these sort of qualitative assessments to help understand how, um, how ready is Africa for expanding its intra-Africa trade. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Christian. I, with that, I would like to invite all of our speakers to come back on and join us for our Q&A session. Um, that also includes um, our final uh, editor from the editorial team of the Agricultural Africa Agricultural Trade Monitor, uh, Shahir Zaki, who is a professor at Cairo University. Um, and so, um, just to launch our Q&A session, we had many questions about the um, the AFCFTA, the Agricultural Free, uh, Continental Free Trade uh, Area, and so uh, just some of the specifics about that. Um, so uh, we had a question from Biniam Kasa. Uh, can regional sectoral specialization work for Africa under the AFCFTA? Uh, for instance, East Africa for coffee value, uh, West Africa for fruits and cassava. Um, and there were questions too about will it have a significant impact on specifically for enhancing a lower vegetable price between African countries, especially um, in Ethiopia and in East Africa. So I'm going to pose this question first to uh, Gatao and, 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 and Doha and then and just open it up to because I, I know that a lot of our speakers could could step in on this. So first, Gatao. Okay, <clears throat> thank you, Julie. Uh, I think uh, the effect, uh, the impact of the effect of this, um, uh, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. Uh, I think theoretically, uh, we we expect a lot of changes in terms of reduction of prices because I think the main thing theoretically 
That means the market becomes bigger for every commodities. Uh, so that uh, when the market becomes bigger and then the price may go down uh, or it may go up for some, some products because the market consists on demand plus uh, supplies. But we expect in general that the, the volatility of the price will decline even for vegetables and also other, other commodities. So definitely uh, we'll expect uh, those, those positive changes, but this is theoretically and uh, we, uh, we remain to, to see the empirical aspect of it. Uh, but in terms of uh, this clustering of uh, uh, the, the commodities by regions and all these things, I think, um, yes, uh, uh, there should be some sort of specialization in terms of competitive advantage for different regions on different products. I think uh, in, in our the first edition of the uh, ATM in 2018, we did some some analysis on those those things, how how the, the competitiveness varies across different for different crops and all these things. So definitely based on the competitiveness, I think the market itself may create those clusters. That's my assumption. But uh, I mean, in terms of policy support and in terms of the the, the implementation of the, the continental free trade agreement and that should also they will also consider those 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 potentials competitive advantage so that they, they, they will have some uh, clustering aspect of uh, specialization on different commodities that's the, the expectation and i think uh, we remain to see those things i think uh, th this is what i can say but uh, i would have uh, loved to uh, uh appreciate the the, the, the discussant that they that they told us uh, a lot of information and a lot of uh insights for 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 our atm to improve thank you uh atm uh julie back to you thank you Atal. Do uh, would you also like to jump in on that question sure um to come in very quickly i think uh, the answer not surprisingly depends on um how uh, strong the rules will be of the african continental trade agreement how liberalizing they will be how good the implementation is going to be of those rules and whether non-tariff barriers to trade are going to be addressed in a serious fashion um that's on the one side uh, on the other side is infrastructure because you can have the best african continental free trade agreement that there is but if you don't have the roads on which to move the food if you don't have the railways if you don't have the flights if you don't have any you know any of that or or just a very small portion of the transportation links that you actually need then the cost of trade is likely to remain high so it's going to depend on a lot of things, but I um, I hope that um, the negotiations that are still ongoing in some areas will go deep into uh, the problems and not uh, you know and not address them superficially. Thank you, Doa, and I also like to in, uh, invite Anton Bue to to jump in on this question. No, I just wanted to uh, to respond to to Yuan and. Um, uh, I, I, I would like to thank uh, Doha and, and, and Yuan for their very important uh, remarks first. And uh, um, as Doha and, and Yuan mentioned, uh, I think that uh, the, the big issue concerning the, the potential success of the AFCFTA is uh, uh, addressing the NTM, non-tariff measure issue. So this is really important. And, and what the report shows is that uh, NTMs are very a big, big issue concerning trade barriers in, in Africa. Um, and, and I would like to say that the point raised by Yuan is very important. Uh, so there, 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 it looks like we had the problems with uh, statistics coming from Comtrade 
concerning uh, exports of rice in South, from South Africa. Um, I'm not surprised because, um, uh, to be honest, uh, concerning Chapter Four, which which focuses on reg on uh, value chains, specific value chains. Uh, we had the big problems with uh, the livestock sector because it was uh, this year it was about the, the livestock sector and uh, when we sent the first versions of this chapter to the to the reviewers we who are experts uh, of this sector we had big problems because they they disagree with uh, uh, with what we we, we were uh, uh, saying about uh, what happens in the livestock sector so we we do completely the this chapter and and uh, we base the chapter on many uh, uh, unofficial or uh, uh, trade databases like the Food Security and Nutrition Working Group or the SEALS database uh, in West Africa. And, and, uh, and so the second versions of the paper was much better. So it, it's very difficult, you know, to, uh, to do that because we have 55 countries. Uh, and of course, what you suggest to, to check the, the trade data with the production data is really important, but it's difficult to, to do it systematically uh, for 55 countries and for so many commodities. But this is a way that we have to explore, of course. Um, and, and, and this is to, just to mention that I think that the, the issue of the quality of agricultural trade data in Africa is really a big issue, not only in terms of accuracy, but also in terms of timeliness. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I would like to expand now from uh, uh, focusing on intra-African trade to, to look in at the global picture. Um, and so um, our discussions mentioned um, some of these things that are inhibiting uh, global trade or, 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 or um, hitting um, a more processed goods globally uh, with higher tariffs. And so I wanted to turn this question to Leila. Um, uh, pardon me to uh, to Lisa, uh, because you mentioned that the overall um, African participation in global trade is is fairly low, and so was wondering um, just from your analysis in the, in that chapter, what are some of the main determinants of the relatively low participation of Africa um, to to world agricultural trade? All right, um, thank you, Julie, for this question. I think from our analysis, the low participation of Africa can be explained both by um, domestic uh, causes that I mentioned and by trade policies, trade policy causes. And on domestic causes, we talk about the low consumption of fertilizer, but also we can see that uh, um, the unskilled labor contents of agricultural trade. So uh, labor content for Africa is mainly unskilled compared to other countries. Uh, we, uh, we, we have also uh, public research, public agricultural expenditure and also research and development spending, which is quite insufficient in most of African countries. And, and this can, uh, we can find the low infrastructure that could enable local sectors to meet some um, standard international requirements. And what we see also is uh, uh, sanitary and phytosanitary barriers faced by African countries that are uh, very damaging uh, for Africa and especially for the most important sectors like cocoa, like fruits and vegetables, etc. Um, we the discussion talk also about the high 
tariff on Africa agricultural trade, and this is also one of the main causes of our performance. So, um, yeah, this is what I can share. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I want to sort of expand that question to also thinking about the international livestock um, uh, trade and, and pass this to uh, Shahir Zaki. If you have anything to add on on what is holding um, African trade back in live in the livestock sector globally. Well, uh, thank you, Julie, and I just want to thank all the uh, uh, editors and uh, participants of the AATM 2021. Uh, so regarding the livestock uh, trade, actually, I had the pleasure to co-author the chapter, uh, this chapter with uh, Julie and Lolit. And uh, as Antoine mentioned in the beginning, it was very hard to look at, uh, to use, I mean, uh, the formal published data because uh, many of the data that, uh, I mean, a lot of the flows are informal. So, uh, and, and actually what we found in the chapter that what, what really holds back the uh, trade in livestock, I think we can mainly summarize this in uh, three main uh, parts. So first, as it, as it was mentioned by the discussants, uh, sanitary and phytosanitary measures are clearly one of the most important trade impediments that still uh, hinder uh, trade in livestock, uh, bearing in mind that most of the African countries, uh, they benefit from uh, a preferential scheme, either through the everything uh, but arms in Europe or uh, the uh, AGOA in the United States. But despite that, they, 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 it's very difficult to access these markets because of sanitary and phytosanitary measures. And second, um, because also partially of the domestic support that is provided by uh, advanced economies to the domestic uh, farmers or domestic producers in the destination economies. Uh, and third, uh, one of the things also that we found in, the, uh, in this chapter is that most of the trade uh, that is being uh, done by African countries in livestock is mainly, uh, I would say, unprocessed or live animals, uh, not really processed food. And that's why the value added, uh, um, I mean, as a consequence, is very low, which makes uh, African countries really not able to uh, access different markets. So I think upgrading this value chain and increasing uh, the, the value added to the product that are being exported by African countries will definitely help them uh, export more uh, from the uh, livestock sector, uh, especially, I mean, the, the three sectors that we analyzed, which are uh, dairy products, uh, poultry, and uh, so that's in a nutshell what I think holds back uh, trade in livestock. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much, Shaya. Um, I want to pose this question to our discussants, but um, and it's it, this is a, more focusing on some of the standardization um, and and some of the marketing even of food products from Africa. So uh, this question um, from Dr. Um, Omotule um, um, Ambali and uh, Manomito Sakar. Um, what are the perspectives of the discussants on the cooperative trade strategies and advice on standardization of food products to enhance international trade? And then the second question um, from uh, Manomito Sakar, what are some agricultural marketing mechanisms in Africa? So thinking about some of the, the standardization of types of products being exported, as well as um, how does marketing play into this? Uh, and could we start with uh, uh, Johan Christian, please? 
Yeah, these are uh, tricky questions. Uh, um, obviously, if we think, think about marketing, we will probably need to consider the way that you promote your products. So export um, promotion programs are something that is very important. I know in South Africa's case, we do a lot of export promotion by through support by government into new markets, especially nowadays, uh, East Asia, where we're trying to um, new markets for agriculture and food products. Um, but uh, the standard uh, food shows, etc., all the type of things that one do. So promoting the, the country and the product uh, is, is goes in hand in hand, but it requires government support and coordination with the various industry bodies. On the, on the first question related to um, standardization, um, I think already there's been an effort to bring um, some harmonization of the, the trade lines, so to speak, to make sure that we talk about the same product. So this has been going on for some time. But my main issue that I raised in, in the discussion is really the standardization of documentation, because you can have one set of documents necessary for South Africa into Zimbabwe. But when you go from Zimbabwe into Zambia, you have another set of documents. And that takes a lot of time from the, uh, the from the process of the goods movement and it also delays uh, the transaction at the border so if we can just harmonize the documents across the continent it will really uh, be a substantive improvement uh, and then help with the de delays at the borders but then on top of that it's the mechanisms at the border that that, that should also be streamlined to facilitate faster trade and faster moving of goods, especially where goods are perishable. And that uh, that's something that needs to be done. But so those are sort of marks, remarks I can provide uh, to those questions. Thank you, Johan, and I'll pass it now to Doa. Thank you very much, um, Julie. So I think on um, standardization and the value of standardization or harmonization for Africa, can't be overemphasized. So um, I had mentioned before that there was uh, there were studies demonstrating how serious some of the non-tariff barriers were, and I just want to give you some examples. For example, uh, one study showed that non-tariff barriers on vegetables in Africa amount to a 14% extra tariff. Uh, on uh, tobacco uh, and beverages, um, the non-tariff barriers amount to an 11% extra tariff and so on. Now, how do you deal with um, harmonization? Harmonization is complex because you need um, experts, food experts, uh, sectoral experts to come around the table um, to have knowledge of international norms, of other regional standards, and to see what is best for Africa and what is also specific to Africa. What, what, are, what, what are some of the specific challenges that Africa faces and, and problems that would need that would require standardization? So experts need to come together, but standardization um, also requires uh, quite a bit of infrastructure. Um, so it requires uh, laboratories, it requires conformity assessment facilities, you know, standardization is not an easy business, and it has to be accompanied with conformity assessment. Uh, and neither the standardization nor the conformity assessment should themselves be done in a way that they become barriers to trade in and of themselves. So um, this is quite a challenging area, but um, other continents have done it, Africa is doing it every day. Um, it's just that there's a there's a need for um, agreeing on what can be common to Africa to facilitate the life of, of traders. 
Um, the trade facilitation agreement of the WTO is also very important and the proper implementation of it, speeding up customs procedures when food arrives at a country's borders, so, so it doesn't rot, uh, you know, it doesn't go to waste, is also uh, an important part of that puzzle. So all of this requires, uh, first of all, a will to do it, <laughs> uh, to do it well, and, um, and investment. Thank you so much, Doa. And, and can I pass now to Abdullah Sek? Yes, yeah, thank you. Children? I think uh, all of the issues you raised are very important uh, when it comes to uh, uh, trying to improve uh, African uh, trade capacities. Uh, and I think uh, the issue of uh, harmonization is a very important one, uh, especially when it comes to documentation. And uh, for example, uh, if I can uh, give the example of what we have here in West Africa within ECOWAS, so uh, basically uh, on paper, uh, the same document uh, should open you uh, all the regional market. For example, you may go from Senegal, maybe transit through uh, Mali and get maybe to Cote d'Ivoire and sell your goods. But uh, what we see in reality on the ground is uh, sometime uh, you may go to uh, uh, one transit country and then a board official uh, will ask you maybe to go over the same process again and come up with uh, new documentation. So uh, I think uh, it touches on uh, one of the issues raised by, uh, I think, one discussion, which is what is the real appetite for African countries to really uh, integrate their economies? Uh, I mean, I believe uh, there are uh, there is a lot of talkings, but uh, when it comes to uh, actually delivering, uh, that's where we uh, definitely come short. And uh, I, uh, this also touches on uh, the issue of uh, infrastructure, which definitely need to be uh, to be improved in order to uh, increase our trade uh, trade capacities. And uh, here we are not talking; we are not only talking about hard infrastructure, but also uh, soft infrastructure, because uh, the issue related to uh, what we are generally referred to as uh, trade facilitation measures. Uh, almost all African countries that have signed up uh, to this WTO agreement. Uh, and this is also a very important part uh, of uh, the negotiation of uh, the African uh, uh, free trade uh, agreement. So I think uh, if we are able to uh, at least uh, sustain uh, this momentum we have uh, around uh, uh, this continental agreement and also uh, make sure that uh, we get uh, the real political will to implement uh, whatever we, uh, we decide to do in terms of reforms, uh, in terms of uh, uh, improving our productive and trade capacities. So definitely uh, we'll uh, get all the benefits associated with this, uh, the full implementation of uh, African uh, trade agreement. Yeah, that's what I wanted to add. Thank you so much, Abdullah. I, I think we're hearing these similar themes of the importance of this infrastructure, of thinking about these um, non-tariff measures. I want to pass it to Anton Bue, and then I want to uh, go to Leila. We, we thank you as well, Abdullah, for the focus a little bit on ECOWAS to move back to, to AMO in Northern Africa and think about um, these questions of how much will, what potential really is there for, for the, the AMO um, uh, REC to become more integrated with Africa and why is it so focused on Europe now um, and, and how might that possibly change with the AFCFTA. Um, so I'll pass to you, Leila. First, I wanted just to get a couple more comments from Antoine. Yes, very rapidly. I just want to, to mention that uh, concerning uh, trading costs on uh, intra-African agricultural trade, uh, the SILS uh, Institute in, in West Africa has also um, uh, designed a database uh, where uh, uh, concerning, in fact, 
briberies collected by uh, gendarmerie, police, uh, customs official on transportations of uh, agricultural goods uh, within West Africa. Um, and it's amazing because uh, the conclusions is that on average, it is a, 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 a supplementary tax of 1.5% on, on shipments of goods, uh, on, uh, on transportations of agricultural goods within ECOWAS, um, but in, in fact, on specific trade corridors, like the, the corridors between Abidjan and Lagos, the, the tax is uh, almost 20%. So I think also there is a problem here that uh, governments have to address. Thank you very much. Leila. Thank you so much, Antoine. And so, Leila, I'll, I'll add on one more. Um, Mamodo Takari, Takari from Academia 2063 has asked, there are several regional economic communities in Africa. What role can they play under the AFCFTA? And so sort of focusing on the AMU region and, and how it's currently focused on Europe and what the opportunities are for it to become more integrated, what that will take and how that's possible under the AFCFTA. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie. Um, and thanks for the questions uh, asked by the participants. Um, as for um, trading with Europe, why we're trading that much with uh, Europe and um, uh, what does it mean also for the future prospects, for the future trade prospects? Um, then uh, one answer uh, is given by Anderson uh, and Van you know, more a theoretical answer, but uh, it kind of um, illuminates a little bit uh, what is uh, going on. Then, um, then the fact that the related trading costs much more than absolute one, and actually these economies, they are actually they trade more with advanced and dynamic countries than uh, what they would have been if they were isolated. Then, if they were isolated, they will maybe trade more with themselves. But the fact that they actually there are some close countries, very advanced and very dynamic, that trigger demand. Uh, more than uh, what their economies themselves are doing. But the problem here is the following, the fact that the, all you know, trade policy built um, around this uh, historic, uh, historical trade, um, connectivity, infrastructure, uh, even in terms of tariffs, um, made that uh, it totally um, underpins this pr prospect of trade within um, countries. And by doing that, they totally, uh, new countries totally um, under, um, you know, and uh, underuse their potential, and uh, the prospect of becoming a platform of trade and investment in terms of value chain between Africa and uh, and uh, Europe. Um, this is very important because there is a lot of potential. It's a really big area. There is um, there are a lot of complementarities uh, we have seen in the presentation, and there is a lot of things to do. Now, maybe um, if you want to be uh, positive and uh, optimistic, uh, well, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement could maybe uh, open up with solutions to overcome all the barriers. Um, but uh, you know, barriers are different in the sense it's not only about uh, dropping tariffs. Uh, it's really behind the border uh, frontiers, as we have seen, you know, in terms of 
even maritime connectivity is a, sort of, it's really bad in terms of uh, trade and uh, in terms of transport is also below expectation. Um, then there are a lot of things to do as for the recommendation, even within the FCFTA. But when you look to export potential of each country of the M within the FCFTA, we see that still the opportunities lying in Europe are much higher for these countries than what is lying with the opportunities lying in uh, in the African um, economies right now. Thank, Thank you so um, much. Yeah. Sorry, pardon, pardon, sorry to interrupt you, Leila. I'm just aware that we are getting right to our time. And I think um, one, I just want to also mention that next year, the AATM will focus on the AFCFTA because which started its implementation at the beginning of this year. So I think there will be a lot of opportunity to continue this discussion. Obviously, there's a big appetite to talk about how do we transfer from the existing RECs to a, a, a continental AFCFTA. And so in order to close, I want to pass to our, our editor, uh, Shairzaki, um, who will give us some closing remarks. Uh, thank you, Julie. Uh, just to sum up some uh, insights that we found or some recommendations that we found in the uh, report. So uh, I will classify them in three main points. So first, regarding data, as it has, as it has been mentioned in the beginning, definitely having more timely data, uh, data that covers the informal trade and, and firm level data in order to, uh, to be able to measure to what extent uh, trade is uh, increasing at the intensive or at the extensive margins, for instance. So all this is really needed in order to have a better uh, overview of trade and agriculture uh, in Africa. Uh, second, uh, clearly, as you mentioned, uh, one of the important, uh, I mean, uh, developments that took place early 2021 was the implementation of the FCFTA. And uh, we are just discussing this with uh, with Antoine and Julie, as Julie mentioned. So next year, it will be important to assess uh, to what extent the FCFTA has been successful in promoting uh, intra-African trade, uh, in which sectors, in, with which partners, uh, compare, to compare also ratifiers versus non-ratifiers, for instance. Uh, and also, it will be important to see to what extent uh, tariffs uh, have been, uh, I mean, uh, significantly uh, decreased or not, because uh, even, for instance, if we look at the Arab Maghreb uh, Union, uh, we still observe high tariffs within uh, the free trade area, which is supposed to be, uh, I, I mean, in theory, a free trade area. Uh, so it will be also important to see concretely what happened uh, uh, at the tariffs uh, at the tariffs level. Uh, the third and final point, clearly, in order to uh, to promote intra-African trade, especially for the agriculture sector, uh, digitalization will be uh, a key issue. And this, uh, whether uh, it will be for the customs, for instance, for the automation of customs, uh, in order to speed up to, to speed up the process of uh, clearance of agricultural goods that that are perishable, or uh, in terms of uh, uh, having more timely data through automated customs or uh, making the pre-inspection uh, shipment in an automated way. So clearly, uh, uh, everything related to the digitalization of trade and agriculture will be a key priority. And I think this has to be taken into consideration uh, by the FCFTA in order to promote trade in general, and especially uh, trade and agriculture in order to help um, African countries uh, become more competitive at both the African and the global uh, levels. 
So I think with this, um, with digitalization, with data and uh, the issue of the FCFT, I think th this uh, will be like the transition between the AATM of 2021 and uh, the AATM of 2022. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much, Shahir, and thank you to all of our speakers and discussants. I think we learned a lot today, and uh, you have absolutely set us up for the sequel of AATM 2022 uh, when we are get to talk more about the AFCFTA. So I want to thank all the audience um, who has joined us today. It was a pleasure to spend this time with you and invite everyone to join IFPRI tomorrow on September 24th um, at 8 a.m. I believe that's DC time for the UN Food System Summit side event um, on funding food system transformation in developing countries, an example from Ethiopia. So we hope you could join us tomorrow and thank you so much for being with us today.